Welcome to Season 2 of Physically Spiritual, the show about the connection of physical health and spiritual growth. This season, I will be creating a 25-episode roadmap to becoming the people God calls us to be. I hope you will join me on this journey. Welcome to Physically Spiritual. I've been amazed by how much growing physically healthier has changed my spiritual life. I am captivated with discovering the truth about my body and how it relates to my relationship with God. Physically Spiritual is my attempt to harmonize and share what I've discovered. I'm your host, Andrew Reinhardt. Before we get started, I want to invite you all to download the new Awaken app. Go to theawakenapp.io to get the app, or you can download it now from the Google Play Store or the iTunes App Store. The new Awaken app uh, features sections uh, for each show where you can interact with each audience and the show host. So check out the new Awaken app. I would also invite you to consider checking out the Hollow app. Hollow is the only Catholic meditation app to help you find peace and grow in your spiritual journey. Hollow's full of guided meditations, a course on beginning to pray, and also uh, sleep stories. So if you are interested in the Hollow app, go to hollow.app forward slash awaken. And I want to ask you to consider joining the Awaken Nation. The Awaken Nation is a community of supporters uh, that both give of their, their time, talent, and treasure to make the Awaken, uh, all the shows on Awaken happen. So go to awakencatholic.org forward slash donate to become a member of the nation. And if you want to check out anything else I'm up to, or you want help applying any ideas from the show, you can join my coaching practice at becominggift.com. As we get started with season two, I want to take you back in time and tell you a story of a man named Jean-Marie Baptiste Vianney, or sometimes known as the Curie of Ars. He was a pastor in France in the 19th century, and at one point in his ministry, he encountered a man in his town, the small town of Ars, and this man was possessed by the devil. And in him, the devil said, if there were three such priests as you, my kingdom would be ruined. If there were three such priests as you, my kingdom would be ruined. Let that settle in for a moment. This, this phrase is even more significant in the context of St. John Vianney's life. See, he was born in 1786, and just three years later was the beginning of the French Revolution, in which all of the church property throughout France was seized by the government. The clergy were persecuted. They, they were forced to make an oath of fidelity to the government over their, their commitment to the Pope. And, and some think only 20, maybe 24, 25% of the priests were willing to do that. And in retribution, some clerics were killed, right? Killed by the guillotine. Uh, but many of them were simply persecuted. Uh, they weren't allowed to minister publicly. And by the end of the French Revolution, practicing your faith was illegal. And, and priests had to go to people's homes and privately celebrate the sacraments at great risk. So it was in the midst of this that young, uh, young uh, Jean-Marie was growing up in France and inspired by these men who were willing to put their life on the line 
to bring God to the people. Um, so so uh, the, this, uh, the church was reinstated by Napoleon in 1892, uh, but the damage had already been done. Can you imagine all the church property was seized? Uh, cl- so much of the clergy, they were either killed or persecuted. Um, so you might think of this as one of the darkest times in church history that have ever happened. And in the midst of this, we have this statement by the devil. A few other things about the Curie of Ars. He was ordained a priest based really on his piety. Uh, once the seminaries reopened, he, he went to seminary, uh, but wasn't able to complete his studies. He wasn't academically gifted. He finished his studies as an apprentice to a priest um, and then was ordained at first, uh, not allowed to preach or hear confessions, uh, but then later given the right to do that as he was uh, proven. So he was made pastor in a small town of Ars. Uh, something like 230 people live there. But this is the impact he had on the world. This is from Butler's Lives of the Saints. By 1855, so toward the end of his life, the number of pilgrims had reached 20,000 a year. During the last 10 years of his life, he spent 16 to 18 hours a day in the confessional, not waiting for people to show up with line, with a church full of people waiting for for him to hear their confession, right? To pray with them, to give them guidance, to help them find the Lord in their life. Right? This is the impact he had. He was so holy that between his church and his rectory, people would cut chunks of his clothes off, uh, wanting to collect relics because they were so convinced that he would be proclaimed a saint. Uh, they had to add a train stop in ours, uh, a small little town, because so many people wanted to come to see him. Right? This is the effect of holiness in the world, that in the midst of this dark time in France, right, the devil would appear to this man and say, my kingdom would fall if there were two more like you in the world. Right? It reminds me of uh, the line in the scripture, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Well, I want to propose to you that uh, we might be in a time today not wholly unlike this. While we're not in the middle of a, a revolution in our country, although some might claim we are on some level, uh, this being uh, January of 2021 when we're recording this, um, but we're in a time of, of great unrest where people don't know what the truth is, where the, uh, there's scandal in the church and out of the church. Um, and in the midst of this, I believe God is calling people to become a, a new generation of saints. Right? A, a generation of, of people who are holy, who will make the devil cower, just as this holy curé did in France hundreds of years ago. In a sense, I believe the devil has showed his hand and revealed to us the key of victory. It's this simple. Saints win the war. Saints win the war. Holiness is what moves the needle in the battle between good and evil. So if we want to make a real difference in the world, if we want to change the course of history, if we want to have a radical impact on the people around us, I want to propose to you, it's not by becoming a, an Instagram influencer or, or writing some uh, really popular book or something like that. No, it, the, first and foremost, radical holiness will transform the world around us. You might not be the most popular. You might not be the most famous, the most rich. Uh, 
But what really makes a difference in the world is holiness. So the central question in the obsession of this season of physically spiritual is simply with the question, how do we become saints? Right? If you're a member of the clergy, how do you become one of those three priests that would cause the kingdom of the enemy to fall? If you're a holy layperson or, or a mother, a father, a religious sister or brother, right? how do we live this life where we become radical channels of grace into the world, right? transforming the world around us, healing the people around us, becoming the people we're called to be? To, to illustrate this a little bit, I want to get, go deep. I want to pull up a chart of the faculties of the soul. And I want to do this not just to dig down into the details, not to be um, like overwhelming you with information, but I want to go deep because I want to give you something to really chew on. I want to give you a, a sense of what the real effect of sin is and then what redemption looks like. In order to do this, um, it's helpful to understand how we conceptualize what it means to be human, the effects of sin, and the effect of grace. All right, so let's pull back up that chart. So the faculties of the, of the soul, Aristotle and St. Thomas Aquinas talked about the soul having sort of three levels, rational, sensitive, and vegetative. The vegetative would be what we have in common with all living creatures, including animals. The sensitive is what we have in common with all animals. And the rational is what's unique to us as humans amongst creatures with bodies. So when we look at, at these levels of soul from an intellectual level, what we have is our reason. Our reason is what really sets us apart from the animals. When I say reason, uh, what I'm meaning is the ability to know and understand universals, right? Our, our ability to create language, our ability to understand higher thought. As part of the, the sensitive part of the human person, we have internal and external senses. These internal senses are your, your memory, your imagination, the estimative, which is, is like your ability to judge or sometimes called animal reason, right? How does your dog decide to, to eat or go to the restroom first, right? That's the estimative. And then the common sense, the common sense knits together all the various inputs that you receive. And then below these are your external senses. What we typically think of as senses is seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, and touching. If you're, if you're just listening to this episode as a podcast, this chart will be in the show notes. So you can go back later, uh, listen to this and pull up this chart and see, or you're welcome to just try to follow along as I talk. Like I said, the, the, the vegetative part of the soul is everything we have in common with all other living things, including plants. So things like reproduction, growth, repair, nutrition. So all of these intellectual parts of us or, or parts of us that know and experience the world also experience appetites. Appetite just means we're attracted to some things and we're repulsed by others. So our rational appetite is what we call the will. Right? This is so essential because our, our, in modern thought, we think of the will, if we have free will, it's, it's like this, uh, this detached uh, computer that's simply making a, a judgment, right? not affected by anything. And we think if, if we're drawn by something or attracted by something, it's not truly free, right? That thing is some way taking away my freedom where I'm bound by my desires. But f having free will for us as Christians doesn't mean that we don't have desires and attractions. 
You know, we're not meant to be detached. We're not meant to be completely uh, unemotional, unaffected by the world around us. We're meant to fall in love. We're meant to have passions. We're meant to have feelings. This is what it is to be truly human. So this will of ours is our rational appetite, right? How we're attracted to things based on what we know. But the, the sensible part of our, our soul also has passions. There's the concupiscible passions. These are toward things that are attractive in the world. So before we experience the thing we're attracted to, we either love it or hate it as we're thinking about it. As it's there, we either desire it or we experience an aversion to it. And then after we've experienced it, we either have a joy that lasts or a sorrow that it's happened. There's another set of passions called the irascible passions. These are our attractions and repulsions to things that are difficult. Right? So approaching these, we either experience hope or despair. As we're facing something that's difficult, we either experience daring or fear. And then after the fact, we may or may not experience anger. So these are our passions. So as, as we're thinking about um, the way that we make decisions, the way that we choose, our will is experiencing this whole complex of attractions and repulsions. Sometimes this whole complex of attractions and repulsions together is called our ethos. It's, I call it the buffet effect. Like as you walk up to that buffet, um, they probably don't even exist in the midst of the global pandemic we're in. Um, but you, you look at each item on the buffet and you either want it or you don't want it. Our whole life is sort of like this. Everything we're experiencing, we're either attracted to or we're repulsed by. So when I make a decision, when I'm choosing either to do something that's going to harm me, something that's sinful, something that's not healthy, it's because I'm truly attracted to it. Meaning either in my passions or on something that I, I, I know, but uh, I probably am mistaken. Right? I feel this attraction to this thing that's not actually best for me. And, and on the other hand, when I'm doing something that's godlike, virtuous, that, that's going to make me holier, it's also because I'm experiencing an attraction to it. Whether it's because of something that I know, like an idea, like I want to be just, or something I know, for example, like something that's been revealed to me and I've learned from the scripture or the teaching of my church, or I'm attracted to it by my experience and my passions. Um, and, and I do it because I'm attracted to it. In the end, we make choices because we think what we're choosing is going to make us happy. Let's take another look at the chart. So in life, uh, because of sin, we're wounded. And the wound of sin is a, a darkened will or a darkened reason, meaning that we, we become incapable of truth because of sin. And then in the will, we experience malice, meaning we start to choose evil things. We're attracted to what's not truly good for us. We experience concupiscence in our passions towards the attractive. This just simply means that they're exaggerated, right? I, I love what's bad for me and I hate what's good for me. And on the other hand, we experience weakness toward things that are difficult. I hope that things will be easy and I despair when things will be hard. So, so this, uh, this complex of wounds is as a result of sin. And we experience natural perfection, meaning that, that even just on a natural level, we can become more and more what we're designed to be. And we do this by growing in the virtues the cardinal virtues, the will becomes, or the mind becomes prudent. The reason becomes prudent. The will becomes just. We become temperate towards things that are attractive 
and we have fortitude or courage towards things that are difficult. But God gives us even more than these natural perfections that we know by reason. He gives us supernatural grace or grace that elevates us. Right? We're given the theological virtues of faith, hope, and love or charity. Faith being the supernatural elevation of our reason, hope the supernatural elevation of our will, and charity is the supernatural elevation of our whole, uh, our whole self. All right, so let's switch away from the chart. So when I'm talking about becoming a saint, becoming holy, uh, really it's a, a two-part thing that all happens at the same time. One, we're, we're going to experience the perfection of nature, right? We're going to experience the growth in these virtues, the healing of the wounds of sin, and we're also going to experience a supernatural elevation. You might say that that health, the perfection of the body, is is supernatural or is, is, is natural. Health is, is natural perfection. On the other hand, holiness is the attainment of the supernatural. It's the attainment of the life of God. In essence, faith, hope, and love, we call these theological virtues. They're theological because they come from God. God's their source. They're also theological because they lead us to God, to a supernatural end. So, so by achieving the supernatural virtues, by having these stable states of God-likeness, uh, we become what the tradition is called divinized, or what the Greek tradition is referred to as theosis, right? this process of becoming like God. And it's essential that holiness is God-likeness. Right? Holiness isn't just the absence of sin. It isn't just health. It isn't just, uh, just doing the right thing. Holiness is God-likeness. It's becoming how God would be in the world. There's three pitfalls we want to avoid as we are working on this God-likeness in our life. The first pitfall we want to avoid is angelism. Right? This is the belief that I'm just a soul. Right? All I am is, is, is reason and will. And that's all that's human. Right? So all the rest of it, it isn't just a matter of me, uh, me becoming a full and, and complete person. I'm actually supposed to discard the body. Right? So this is all a top-down approach. So this would just be a spiritual practice and speculative study to determine uh, the, to, to become the person I'm called to be. Right, a, a neglect of the body. So this would be an emphasis on prayer as the only solution, as the only thing I need to do to become the person God's calling me to be, and an overemphasis and even an obsession on, on all my problems being a, just a temptation and from the devil. It's a rejection of the body. Right? So this is one extreme we want to watch out for. The second extreme, on the opposite hand, would be a kind of animalism, that I'm just a body. That, that rational and will part of me doesn't actually exist. It's all bottom-up. So it's making physical health an end in itself. It's an emphasis on just feeling good and avoiding pain, uh, extending life at all costs, and ultimately a worship of the body. Right? So we might approach it from an opposite extreme that denies that we have a spiritual soul, that denies that we have reason beyond the animal's, Right? They would just say that we're just sort of a degree higher than the highest animal, but there's nothing really that sets us apart other than just a little bit extra adaptation. And then would also deny free will, 
They would simply say, someone from an animalism perspective would simply say that, that everything we do is simply the consequence of, of our attractions and repulsions, right? We don't have that rational appetite. The third pitfall we want to avoid is a kind of psychologism, a, a, a reduction of everything to psychological state, right? That would say that I'm just my consciousness, right? Everything else is an illusion. The physical world's an illusion. The, the spiritual world's an illusion. I am just a mind sort of stuck in the middle. And this is, it could be an emphasis on just trying harder, uh, maybe uh, an overemphasis on talking about my problems, uh, like I'm a victim of my past and I'm not free to choose. I'm sort of stuck in the middle. So these are three pitfalls we want to avoid. An angelism that denies the body, an animalism that denies the soul, or just making all of our problems into a psychological problem, right? Where all I need to do is sort of get well-adjusted to the world and, and get, uh, get detached from uh, my body and soul. So as we're approaching our growth, avoiding these three pitfalls, I like to think of how we approach this as a three-legged stool. So I have an image of a three-legged stool here. Once again, if you're just watching on the podcast, or if you're just listening on the podcast, you can pull up the show notes to get a hold of this later. So in the process of to becoming like God, there's really three areas of emphasis that we need to focus on. First are sacraments. As Catholics, we have these seven sacraments. We believe that God has come to us in a way that we can experience him with our senses, right? It isn't just a uh, God coming to us in our, in our personal prayer, but God comes to us as a community through signs that we experience with our senses, right? Things like baptism and Holy Communion. So in this uh, season, we're actually going to have eight episodes going through both the sacraments in general and the seven sacraments. So as we're focusing on the sacraments, we're going to have a special focus, not just on what they are as sort of ideas, but how we live them, how we receive them, right? Why do so many people that receive the sacraments uh, seem so unchanged, right? You've probably met people that have been baptized and you wonder, like, did it work? Should we rebaptize them? Because they don't seem any different, Right? Is this having any change in people's lives? You might even know people who receive communion regularly, go to daily mass or weekly mass, and, and you wonder, like, is this having any effect? Is this sinking in? I've thought this in my own life. Like, wh why do I keep going to mass and not becoming a different person? Right? So this is where we're going to dig down, not just what the sacraments are, but how do we receive what God is offering us in the sacraments? The second leg of this stool is mental prayer, or what uh, has been called by some mystical theology. Uh, so why, why do we accept spiritual immaturity as a norm? From, from the perspective of the great mystics of our tradition, from the great spiritual doctors of the church, especially John of the Cross and Teresa of Avila, they talk about the spiritual life in terms of stages or mansions in which the person is growing like, like an organic, like a plant or an animal or, or a person, where we, we grow and mature through stages. This first age of the, the spiritual life or the first mansions of the spiritual life are really focused on growing out of grave sin, habitual sin, and, and the way that we fall short, 
right? This woundedness because of sin. How many people do you know that don't have any grave or habitual sin in their life, right? That every time they go to confession, they don't say the same thing. Or, or, or do you? Are you free of all grave and habitual sin? I know I'm not yet. Well, this phase of growing out of grave and habitual sin is actually spiritual infancy. And in the church, we've come to accept spiritual infancy as the norm, right? Spiritual infancy has become the norm. But in what other area of the world would, would we say, well, you know, they grew to about uh, be about a 20-pound baby, and then they stopped growing, <laughs> and then they just stayed 20 pounds the rest of their life and didn't keep maturing, right? right? That's not normal. That's a sign that something is terribly wrong, so why do we accept spiritual infancy as the norm? Right? To really grow deep in mental prayer, we need to grow away from uh, habitual sin, away from grave sin, and then grow in deeper and deeper stages of prayer as we become capable of receiving the grace that God has given us. So we're going to take an eight-episode deep dive into the three ages of the spiritual life, or the seven mansions of Teresa. We're going to talk about mental prayer. We're going to talk about meditation. Uh, examination of conscience, discernment of spirits, all these things that go into the church's great mystical tradition, how to pass through the purgative way and onto the later stages of the spiritual life. And then the third leg of this stool is asceticism, or we might just call it a living a life generously. Asceticism is simply a term for self-denial, for mortification, Right, Because of sin, remember, all these passions are now disordered. I'm attracted to what's not good for me and repulsed by what is truly good for me. So part of the process is denying those passions right, and growing in virtues that then become an ordering of the whole person toward what's truly good for me. So in order to grow, we need to have an ascetical practice, a practice of discipline. But in the midst of this, I'm asking the question, is it necessary to damage the body to overcome sin and attachment, right? The same saint I talked about earlier, the Curie of Ars, uh, he's famous for his fasting. He spent uh, years of his life where all he ate was a, a couple potatoes a week. <laughs> but as a result of this, his body actually became damaged to the point where he couldn't eat other food. Other food caused him to get sick, right? And I'm not here to, to judge uh, the asceticism of the Curie of Ars, um, I, I couldn't put myself in that position. Um, but I simply have to ask the question, is that normal? Right? Are we all called to an asceticism that damages our body? Or in the demands of, of health, is there enough self-denial for us to grow out of our attachments uh, to things of the world, to things that harm us, and to attach ourselves to the things of the Lord and the things that will truly bring us life? Uh, so, so to perfect nature, we need to remove the barriers we have to the spiritual life, right? receive the grace of God, and become fully ordered in harmony with God's design, with the natural law. So health is the perfecting and healing of nature, and holiness is the attainment of supernatural life. So we're going to have eight episodes where we talk about asceticism, but we're going to talk about it from the perspective of how do we perfect nature, Right? What are the, the core things we do, the core lifestyle practices that we could have uh, where we become more and more the person we're called to be? So going back to the stool now, I simply want to ask the question, 
Are you resting in the Lord to become more like the, the Lord, or is your spiritual life something more like a balancing act? Right? If you take out one leg of this stool, what you're essentially doing is you're balancing. Maybe you're balancing on just one leg of the stool. Maybe you're just going to church and you're not praying. You're not practicing any kind of asceticism. Uh, maybe you don't believe in all this spiritual stuff. Right, So you maybe have like a stoic approach to life where you just have ascetical practices and disciplines, but you don't have prayer or the sacraments in your life. Or maybe you think it's just you and Jesus. right? So you just pray by yourself at home uh, without any communal prayer, receiving the sacraments, or any self-denial. Right? When, when it's just me and Jesus over time, uh, Jesus can start looking a lot like me. Right? In any one of these cases, you're balancing on just one leg of this stool. And imagine it in your life. Probably what happens is you do okay for a little while, maybe a day, maybe three days, maybe a week, maybe a month. Uh, you're able to grow. You're able to feel close to God. And then something happens and you fall on your face. You fall back into that sin that you, you don't want to do, that bad habit, that promise you made to yourself, whatever it is. Maybe you're resting on just two legs of the stool. And this might give you the illusion of growth, the illusion of security, because you're able to go long periods of time. You've, you've gotten really good at balancing, right? But eventually what you do is you slip, right? Something else comes up, that, that really hard day at work, that fight with your spouse, whatever it is that pushes you over the edge and you fall again into whatever you struggle with, right? In order to, to reliably grow, to move through the early stage of the spiritual life, to perfect nature and attain the supernatural life, in order to truly receive the grace of the sacraments, we need to be resting on all three legs of this stool. Um, and this is what this whole season of Physically Spiritual is about. Eight episodes going through uh, the Church's sacramental theology, how to receive the grace that's offered to us in the sacraments. Eight episodes where we go through um, the mystical tradition, uh, how to, to really pray and grow in prayer. And eight, eight episodes through asceticism, uh, the, the key areas of our life that we need to grow in and perfect to become the people God calls us to be. So as I'm concluding this first episode of season two, I want to share a little bit more about how I'm going to approach all these episodes. I call my mode of approach simply having a Catholic worldview. Having a Catholic worldview, I, I talk about this a lot in the first three episodes of season one. I believe that applying the best insights of faith and reason takes us from surviving to thriving. And this is the mode of the whole thing. One, applying. There's a lot of content online, especially from a Christian and Catholic perspective, that's a lot of speculative thought, right? We talk about the, the faith like it's just interesting, or we talk about it as a set of apologetics, right? How do I explain my faith to an atheist? How do I explain my faith to a Christian of another denomination, Right. Let's let's uh, talk about all these things like they're just interesting. Right. I want to be obsessively focused on applying the faith to our lives. Right. What does this mean for me? How can I avoid these pitfalls of of an angelism where I, I deny the fact that my body is important for my spiritual growth? Um, I'm also uh, insistent on on integrating faith and reason. Right. It's not an either or for us. It's a both and. Uh, faithfulness to revelation and tradition, but also at the same time exploring the applications of the discoveries that we have through science, through our, our discovery of the natural world with our, our reason, 
So how can we take the best insights from science, from medicine, from psychology, and, and bring them to bear to help us become the people that God calls us to be? Right? How do all these amazing insights we have uh, help us to build the kingdom of God and become saints? And then finally, uh, we're moving from surviving to thriving. Right? Surviving is, you might think of it as a, a way of being a slave to our bodily instincts, right? This lower nature, these passions that are disordered, where what, what thriving is, is a harmony of the whole person in accord with the natural law or God's design, how God's created us. I'm going to assume that our default setting, as we have found in the scripture, is to be in relationship with God. And that if we're not in relationship with God, right, there's going to be something disordered in us. So when we talk about science, when we talk about wellness, or, or maybe even ideas from self-help, Right? We're not using these just to, to glorify ourselves or, or work out our own, our own uh, goodness separate from the Lord. But we're, in all of it, we're assuming faith in the Lord, that God's grace is active in our life, and that all of it is for the building up of his kingdom. Right? And from this perspective, that holiness is this harmony of the whole human person according to God's design, uh, I, I think we, it helps us avoid these pitfalls I was talking about earlier. Right? This show is not infotainment. What do I mean by infotainment? I'm not doing this to multiply the words about the church on the internet. If you're learning, looking to just learn the basics of the faith, how to defend your faith, this might not be the podcast for you. If you just want more noise in your ears to numb the restlessness of your heart, that you should, uh, then you should probably turn this off. Uh, spend the time in silence and face yourself and what's really going on inside. I'm intentionally trying to go deeper with this show, deeper than the typical Catholic content you'll find on the internet, because I'm interested in pushing the envelope a little bit, right? Applying and integrating faith and reason in daily life. And, and as I do this, I will make mistakes, right? I'm going to say things that don't make any sense to you or, or that I, I maybe go a little over the line. So this is an iterative process of, of building on these insights, but I think it's a process that's really worth doing. Right? In God's providence, how else do we make sense of the last 300 years of technological progress if not for the building of the kingdom, right? the greater good of humanity in light of God's revelation? Uh, so my greatest hope for the season is that, that you'll interact with me more, whether it be through the new Awaken app uh, and, and the ability to interact with uh, other listeners and show hosts in the discussion section that goes with each show, or go to my website. I have an email on there. Email me. Leave comments on social media. Let me know if you think I'm wrong. I'd love to talk about it and learn, right? I'm, I'm doing this for me too. I need all of this as much as you do, right? You might get this idea that if somebody is a, a person of faith who's teaching uh, on a podcast or on the radio or giving talks somewhere that they have it all figured out. Well, the only difference between me and you right now is I have this microphone in front of my face, Right? I still struggle with sin. I'm on the purgative way. Right? I'm still working to heal wounds from my past. Uh, I'm still not receiving all the grace that God's offering me in the sacraments. Right? I'm doing this because I need this as much as you do. Uh, so this is a way for me to grow deeper and become the person that God's calling me to be. Um, so my wildest dream, if it were to come true, is that this show would help even maybe just a few people become holier. 
right? What if what if some of this helps a few priests become those three who toppled uh, the enemy's kingdom? Uh, that we could we could become a generation that's holier than the generation before us. That we can radically proliferate grace into the world by the way we cooperate with God's design. Right? That that we turn the tide of of mass attendance of people participating in their faith of our culture that's more and more and more becoming far from God and we see this great discord in the world right the solution to all of it all the problems we have in the world is holiness but i think it's it's essential that it's this integrated vision of holiness that we're becoming more and more the people that God is calling us to be this show and all media on Awakened Catholic is made possible by the Awakened Nation and the Hollow app. The Awakened Nation is a community of people like you who support all things Awaken for as cheap as a cup of coffee a week and get access to exclusive content. Learn more by visiting awakencatholic.org donate. Hollow is the only audio-guided Catholic prayer app focused on contemplative prayer and traditional Catholic meditation such as Lexio Divina, Daily Examine, and the Rosary. We here at Awaken all use Hollow every day and love it. To learn more or give it a try, visit hollow.app slash awaken.